our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, I thought he was a fan of classic rock, but it turns out he's actually a big fan of mana rock. That's Matt Morgan. Joey, I recently learned that all Falcons can live to be 12 to 15 years old or so, which means all of them were born in 21st century. So technically, Mm -hmm. every Falcon is a millennial Falcon. (gasps) Matt. You just broke my brain. That is the best dad joke you've ever told. That's got so many layers to it. It's like an onion. (laughs) I'm going to introduce our next co-host. We'll see if you can follow that up. Matt, you set the bar really high. Up next, he doesn't just cast noxious gear hulks. He casts obnoxious gear hulks. It's Dana Roach. Uh, um, Joey, what smells the best at Thanksgiving dinner? The turkey? I don't know. Your nose. That's... Just basic anatomy, uh, Joey. Dana, no. You know what? The millennial Falcon joke is is still the superior <laughs> one there, but I appreciate the effort. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Matt, tell us what it is that we're talking about in this week's episode. Well, this week, we figured we'd take a page and, and be thankful with the upcoming holidays. So we're just going to talk about cards that we're thankful for and what we're just thankful for from this past year that was Commander. That we are. This was a a very wholesome topic idea suggested from you, Mr. Morgan, because, yeah, this is the last show that we'll have before the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. So we're going to be just vibing with those those wholesome grooves and talk about cards that we're just we're grateful for that happened in 2021. It should be a whole bunch of fun. Real quick, before we get into our very wholesome show here, we're going to pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, we also want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. The Idiot Redcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, the stuffing and mashed potatoes of online retailers. <laughs> Just loosen up your tie, change in your eating pants, and head over to EDH Rec. <laughs> Go to the card in question and click on the vendor link down below. Uh, doing so supports both the site and the show. If you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. Uh, we definitely appreciate all of the support, and you can do so um, and get some extra perks along the way, whether you want to join the Discord, whether you want to look at the challenge of stats spreadsheets that we keep there's all sorts of different perks that you can get by going to patreon.com slash edh retcast and one of those perks that we actually we like quite a bit um, is that we give a very special patron a shout out just for signing up so this week we're going to give a very very special shout out a most festive shout out to patrick healy so thank you so much we hope that all of your turkeys are so so stuffed and the uh, the, the, the pumpkin pie is 
extra pumpkin-y with extra whipped cream. I don't know. I, I, it's extra good. Tasty. <laughs> we're, we're, we're probably vibing a little bit too much into the, the Thanksgiving <laughs> tropes here. I think this show still comes out like the Friday that is kind of a week before that actual holiday. But just, you know what? We're just we're, we're getting people in advance. We're getting people ready for the family gatherings that always are not drama um, or don't have any drama. <laughs> Good luck, everybody out there. Let's <laughs> let's let's focus on the good stuff. All right, let's get to our main topic. We are talking about cards that we are thankful for. Cards that give us just smiles in 2021. There's you know so much talk about like oh you know this card didn't hit my expectations or this card I wish was this other way or whatever. But like there are also just some awesome bangers out there too. So that's what we want to talk about in this show. Just cards that happened in 2021 that we're just like, you know what? This is what makes magic so much fun. Absolutely. Uh, Dana, real quick, let's uh, let's start off with you. What's something that you're thankful for that happened this year in the world of magic and EDH, my dude? Um, you know, it, it happened in, in the world of magic and EDH this year, but it's been a trend going back till the last year or maybe even the year before. And that's there's been clearly a concerted effort from Watsi to make Interesting three mana mana rocks. Mm. Um, for a long time there, we were seeing a real tendency to switch to two mana rocks. Um, and I'm sure we've talked about it in the past, especially as well, like our tendency to, to, to try to run those to be able to ramp our turn to as much as possible. Um, and that made sense when the three mana rocks out there were predominantly of the mana with variety. <laughs> but the last year and last two years ish, going back a little bit, they've really printed a lot of those ones in that three mana slot that are absolutely worth considering, despite the fact that it's a little bit tougher to ramp on turn three than turn two. Um, you know, the last year, the two that jump out at me would be like things like Cursed Mirror or Strixhaven Stadium. Um, but we've just been getting those every set, you know, even if they're not ones that universally go into every deck, they're ones that you look at and go, I would absolutely play that. It's, it's worth spending one more mana to get that extra utility. And I think that's that's healthy for the game. And I'm glad to see them doing that. Yeah, I like that point, Dana, how like not every deck wants every single three mana rock, but the ones that do want it really want it. Uh, I think that's just kind of a trend in general that we were told about about two years ago by Gavin Verhey and, and everyone that they were going to start getting maybe more specific with the powerful cards instead of what Eldraine did to pretty much every format where it was just powerful upon power. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I 100% agree. I, I like that they're getting specific things, but they're very powerful if you want that specific thing. Yeah, it is kind of the response to the, or the the recognition that like, oh, yeah, we printed Arcane Signet, a two mana rock that kind of uh, let's let's not let's let's drift away from that habit and go back to this one. And Dana, you mentioned two absolute banger mana rocks just there. The Cursed Mirror, that thing is so cool. It is the red mana rock that comes down and it can be, if you want, on its first turn, a hasty copy of any creature on the battlefield. I mean, Dana, you specifically have used that in games on our stream, twitch.tv slash EDHRecast to become a copy of someone else's commander before they get the chance to actually use their own commander. I'm thinking specifically of games you played against Zbex, where she had an Atla Palani and you were like, nah, I'm going to Atla Palani first because I've got a hasty copy of your commander. And like that on a three mana rock, that is so cool. But you also mentioned Strixhaven Stadium, which is a win condition as a mana rock. And I'm I'm all about that. That's so good. Yeah, it, it's just added a, a dimension to the game. Um that's interesting without it just being faster. Like, you know, it's not that mm. things like Arcane City aren't very, very good, but like all they primarily do is speed things up. And in the three mana rocks that are good at a dimension that isn't just speed. And I think 
having different paths to go down is very healthy for everyone, even if maybe you aren't playing any specific of the new three mana rocks. I think it's just good for the game overall. Yeah, I, and I'm not done with them because another one that I really like is Crowded Crypt, which is the black mana rock from the Wilhelt precon, which as long as you're talking about cards that we're thankful for, I will put a pin in the Wilhelt precon because I got some other compliments to, to say about that, that precon right there. But Crowded Crypt is the three mana rock that gets counters on it every time your stuff dies and then you can crack it to make a whole bunch of zombies for each counter that's on it it's i my aristocrats heart is is beating so fast it is so in love i love this thing it it makes so many bodies they are decayed zombies but that's okay because i will make 12 of them and that is so much fun to sacrifice even more or to actually attack for like i just these these three mana rocks are absolutely just sending me they are so 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 much fun so i love this pick these are are just super super dang great joey you you kind of Preluded a little bit to to my point of what I mean the, to me this was the 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 turkey at the center of the table that was for Commander um, and just I last year they talked about 2020 was going to be the year of Commander I think 2021 was the year of Commander preconstructed decks because um, uh, every okay. single precon <laughs> just seemed to be so stinking good uh, I love just what they did exploring kind of the, the the big Commander 2021 decks they did with Strixhaven. All of them explored a specific archetype. They were doing very, very cool things. And then they got to explore some new ground. Like with the Lorehold Precon, it wasn't kind of a, a weird, just Boros with equipments type of deck. It was some other things going on. And just all the Precons just seemed to be doing something cool, something unique. And I just love the design for all of them all around. And they had some great reprints too. There, there were some very, very good cards that were reprinted into these precons. Um, whether it was like Nirkana Revenant that just came out in the uh, the, the uh, Crimson Vow precons. Um, Hellkite Tyrant was in the Lorehold precon. There were just oh, some wow. absolutely juicy reprints that we've been kind of asking them to start putting back into decks. And they finally did. We, we started to see this again. There have been a couple of talismans that got printed in precons, and while it would be nice to, I think, still see like talismans and signets at the same time in a precon, it is nice to still get talismans, which tend to be of the options the more expensive one. I think Nature's Lore got a reprint mm -hmm. the this year as well, and it's just like that is a two mana ramp spell that I think was difficult to access in a lot of other ways, and it's just nice to get other copies of that so that card prices go down. Uh, Heroic Intervention, another two mana green spell, that one also got a reprint this year. It is nice to see those. I think that was in the AFR precons. So yeah, there have been some really nice small reprints that are just going to be useful and we would love to see even more of them all of the time and we're grateful for the ones that we got here as well and the opportunities for um, different reprints have really kind of broadened as well like there was a, a time not that long ago where you'd be like Man, damnation really needs a reprint but they probably weren't going to put it in standard, which meant if it didn't make it into, you know, whatever master set you're getting that year, you just weren't going to see it. It's like, well, I guess we're not getting damnation until maybe next year. There's just so many opportunities now. They can print those cards that like would probably be a problem in standard, but they can put it not only in the master set, but they could put it in, for example, a secret lair or something, or, you know, one of the oddball draft sets we seem to get every year, every other year, um, like jumpstart. It's like there's just a lot of places to print cards that maybe didn't exist before too because the card just like wouldn't work either because of power level or price or you know theme or something um that's really nice too because you just no longer have that kind of secret reserve, reserve list situation where you just mm. felt like this card has no place to get reprinted for years so that just sucks like that it doesn't feel that way anymore it could be a judge foil it could wind up in a secret layer it could be a commander collection green or something like <laughs> there's just a lot of venues for stuff 
stuff. And that's really, really nice. That I, I absolutely, absolutely agree. And, and you know what? Actually, as long as you're mentioning secret layers there, I also real quick want to shout out. I really I'm thankful for Secret Layer Black is Magic. I thought that was just awesome. The art there was so fantastic. Supporting Black Girls Code, so fantastic. I really like all the stuff that that one was up to. Like of the secret layers, that's the one that really got my heart. So I also just want to specifically shout out that one as a thing I'm also very thankful for this year. But I, I actually think we probably might have even gotten ahead of ourselves a little bit because Matt, earlier you mentioned the Ozgear precon. Let's let's talk about the precons even more because I think you're right. Like 2021 does feel like the year of the precon in terms of commander stuff. And that Ozgear precon deserves, I think, just more praise than we gave it earlier because because in a, in a world full of Boros, equipment, attacky strategies, what a revelation that particular precon especially felt. That all of them really did feel like just awesome precons this year, but that one especially stands out across not just this year, but also many previous years too. I mean, they just got to play around with space that they hadn't really explored too much, especially with the Boros colors. But I mean, every single precon deck had something new going on, um, like Ink Shield, that was in one of the precons, and oh that card God. is a banger. Um, absolutely <laughs> silly. Like, there's just, there were so many just super cool cards going on, and I, I like that they're finally, the the places that they are designing for Commander, they're, they're playing with some really cool stuff. Now, I, I would like not every single card to be designed with Commander in mind, um, for the sake of standard, but um, that doesn't mean that like, I don't appreciate some of these cards that we are getting to see. Well, I mean, it, I remember, you know, not that many years back when we, the only precons we would get would be the, you know, five commander precons, sometimes four commander precons. And then it would feel pretty bad when you get that one that felt really undercooked, like say the Calumny precon that we got that one year, mm. um, that felt like it didn't really make any cohesive sense or weren't a lot of great cards in it necessarily. Um, that was always kind of disappointing. It just feels like right now a lot of thought go into almost all of them. And there's a bunch of them. So, like, they're, we're getting, you know, a dozen precons, if not more, these years. And they almost all feel like they're intelligently designed decks that have a plan and have good cards and exist for a reason other than, like, at the last minute, someone's like, oh, no, we forgot to design a Boros deck. <laughs> so, it, like, I, I appreciate that. It really feels like the time and energy are going into making these interesting. And I think that's fantastic. And I think they're only going to get better, too, because they, they started a team. That they're hiring card designers specifically for more casual formats. I know a friend of the podcast guest of our on our stream um ellie of the veil on twitter elizabeth rice like she is now working for wizards of the coast and getting to design cards and like she's super excited about it she's great like i love her she's on the cag for crying out loud um she does some really really cool things so like they're they're finding more people that are going to be designing these types of cards so like i imagine they're only going to get better from here and specifically some of those multiplayer focused directions, like I actually want to shout out among the precons that we've you know kept on going around about, like there is small but subtle design that I really want to highlight, especially on Brina the Demagogue, which rewards your opponents for attacking each other rather than just you. But there's an extra bit on Brina's ability that also matters a lot. Your opponents can't just attack another one of your opponents for Brina's ability to give them benefit. Brina the Demagogue needs your opponents to attack the opponent who isn't basically in last place. And that is a very small but very, very important piece of design to encourage players to not just gang up on the person who's in last 
And that is exactly the type of thing that you need when it comes to a multiplayer focus. Like it, it is that type of thing that really signals to me like, oh yeah, there's there's excellent work happening here. Just like, I don't know, Brina's design, the more that I've thought about it, the more and more and more that it has impressed me, both every time I see it in gameplay, because holy crap, does Brina get really, really big, really, really fast. But also just the way that it encourages your opponents also encourages your opponents to not accidentally even fall into a type of gameplay that could be minorly unhealthy or could cause at least one person at the table to have maybe a bad time by getting ganged up on so that other people can benefit off of a Brina. And that's just, that's a small detail, but man, it matters a lot. And I, I just love seeing it in the commander options that we're getting. Yeah, it's a good through line from like looking at something like Edric's by Master of Trest that <laughs> was very much like designed to be somewhat political that was supposed to cause, you know, not necessarily chaos, but like make your opponents attack one another. And because I'm guessing they were relatively new at designing for multiplayer, you have this commander that maybe it was designed one way, but it winds up just being a deck built around Flying Man where like you are the only person taking advantage of that for the most part. They've learned from that over the years and kind of realized, no, we want, if we're going to build these things, we need to understand how multiplayer works and what players will do. And so you get these commanders that are much more carefully designed to make sure they do the thing as intended. I mean, they, I, I like how they kept saying, well, we want to support strategies in the set that don't normally get anything specific. So they started adding all the, the precons that accompany any given set. I love that mm. movement. Yeah, uh, you know, the, years ago, like with Kaladesh, if they would have been doing this, like we would have had a an energy matters type of commander um, oh, that yeah, fits yeah. all those themes. So now, like with Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt and Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, like we've had accompanying precons that help explore the themes that we're seeing in the set. So we had a, a humans pre-constructed deck because humans were very relevant in Midnight Hunt and the, the same with werewolves and vampires and zombies and all these different things. So it's just, it's, I love how they're doing that. And just, they started doing that. I know they started doing it in 2020, but they got very, very good in 2021, just exploring all that and just how there is so much going on in Strixhaven with 3,000 words per card. <laughs> um, you may as well have read Dune if you wanted to read any of the Simic cards. <laughs> That's how intense things got. So having an accompanying pre-con decks to kind of explore those themes was very much appreciated. It, and and that is a huge thing too. Is that like there was such an, it, it, a very evocative set feeling there going on? But Matt, I, th I think now is the time. Now is the time where I'm going to take that pin out of the praise I said I was going to give to the Wilhelm precon um, that that I mentioned it earlier. Now I just want to do it. Now I just want to. I holy crap. I that the will health precon is I think my favorite products like ever like oh my goodness I did not know that I loved zombies as much as I love zombies it I mean you'd think that Joey as a necromancer himself would know <laughs> how much he likes zombies and and the undead and stuff but like that precon is one of the best gaming experiences I've had right out of the box and upgrading it every time I play that deck I just get giddier and giddier and stuff does things that I did not know it does the thing I See, I'm losing my words, people. Like, it was so much fun. But, so I didn't even know. Like, I was just upgrading that deck a little bit here and there. I didn't even know that Cleaver Scob, when I first played it, Cleaver Scob is that zombie that you can sacrifice a zombie to make two copies of that zombie. I didn't even realize that you can do that to your tokens that the Cleaver Scob makes as well. You can make copies of the tokens. So when I was just putting in, uh, you know, Great Merchant of Asphodel as a zombie, let's throw it in here. I've got one. It's a common. Okay, cool. I didn't realize that you can make two copies of the Grey Merchant of Asphodel using the Cleaver Scob's ability. And then you can also sacrifice one of the copies of the tokens to Cleaver Scob again to make two more new copies. It's, it, 
it my my cold little necromancer heart is warming up every time I play that deck. I love that stinking deck and at the risk of me just spouting off about that thing for the rest of eternity, Matt, there was also the Humans Precon deck, which I think spoke a lot to your Selesnia heart as well. So take the mic away from me. But that pair of Precons, holy crap, we just had a great time with them. Oh, man. We're, we're going to take the microphone from Joey as a necromancer myself, Schultz, and hand it to <laughs> Matt, the combat step Morgan. So, but but yeah, absolutely. Like Kyler, like that deck is everything that I wanted in a pre-constructed deck. I played it right out of the box and it was one of the most fun just oh my gosh, how am I doing so many of these things that I've always wanted to do in a deck? And then I changed 10 cards in it and it just got even more fun. And like, I I love how those things, like I just went to my LGS, I spent 50 bucks getting sleeves in the deck and everything ready to go. I think it's maybe like a $70 project at this point, but it's so fun and it's so powerful. Like, so if you've watched our streams over at twitch.tv slash EDH (laughs) RecCast, I played it probably two weeks in a row and every time I just could not believe how much fun it was how powerful it was out of the box it was just such a delight like I I love Kyler it's probably one of my favorite commanders just because it's doing everything that Craig Blanchett and I love to do which is just turn (laughs) things sideways that are just massively huge but don't look massively huge and, and, and especially, like, I got to call out some of the specific synergies that you're unlocking when you're doing all of the stuff in there, because Kyler gets plus one counters. Humans every, is the synergy, Joey. You, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But but let, let's actually, beyond just the, the ha-ha funny humans, no, like, there's seriously amazing stuff happening every time you play that stinking deck. Because Kyler gets bigger, gets plus one counters every time you get humans into play, even token humans, which is huge. And that also just corresponds with cards you've got in there, like Champion of Lampholt, which is a human, and which prevents your opponents from blocking if Champion of Lampold has a whole bunch of power. And you've also got your Thalia's lieutenant or other stuff like that that also just gets really big. And then what you do, then what you do, Mr. Matt Morgan, then what you do is slam down a card like Slippery Bog Bonder, which shifts all of the plus one counters that your other humans have been getting and puts them right onto Kyler. But that doesn't change the amount of power that those humans had because Kyler gives all of your humans plus one for every counter that's on them. <laughs> and like, it's amazing. Oh my God. Kyler becomes what some people call in the business uh, huge. <laughs> huge, I think, is the technical term for what happens to Kyler in that deck. I just, it's it's a deck that I love losing to, if that makes sense. Like, I just, I'm, I'm so delighted to be able to see just how big you make your rinky dink one one tokens. I didn't expect it. And you do it so fast. And it's just like, this is, this is exactly the energy that I want to be in whenever I'm playing EDH games. And I love that this is another way that you've unlocked it. And it's so dang cool. I just think it's neat. I'm just happy. I'm just happy about that. Super fun because so the last three new decks that I've built have all been from from precons or precon commanders. Whether it's AC Tyrant of Gary Straits, which was absolutely silly. And so the next two that I got, which was the Lorehold precon and the Kyler precon, those were so much more dialed back, and they were still in, 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 incredibly fun. Like they're <laughs> so much dang fun to play, and they weren't doing anything like oppressive they weren't doing anything overpowered but the the best 50 cents in the freaking deck is maja uh bredegard protector with a bounce land with selesnia what is it uh selesnia sanctuary where you get to pick it up and bounce it and pick it up and bounce it just what maya is the the landfall one so you'll make human tokens every time that you get a landfall so you keep doing that over and over and over again absolutely you get more tokens and it pumps up your commander which pumps up all of your tokens it's 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 not like it's an expensive deck to make super powerful and i i love that that's probably something else that i i should point out about these precon decks is like you can do some very very powerful things and not spend very much money at all so like if you're a budget brewer out there 
you have to be loving all of these different things that they're doing now. Well, you're doing powerful things, I think, but I also feel like they're powerful things that your opponents feel like they are able to respond to and kind of play on the same playing ground mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. playing level with, which it kind of leads me to the next thing I'm thankful for. I think they've pulled back a, a notch on what I kind of refer to as a super commanders in the last year as well, which I really appreciate. We had a run there, it felt like, where design seemed to think what commander players wanted most was to go fishing with dynamite. Like, we just really wanted to go up there in that <laughs> lake and just start blowing up fish and fill up the boat and, and roll back in and be done. And so, so we got this, this run of commanders, you know, whether it was the, the brawl, precon, Chulain, Korvald ones, or things like Moldrotha or the uh, third Tesa Karlov, where when the commander hit the field, even once, the amount of value you generated was so insane that it felt like your opponents really had to either counter your commander or they were just going to lose the game if that stayed in play at all. Mm. And that kind of forced a situation where, you had to either play super reactively to stop it, or you had to play the same game. Like you oftentimes just felt outmatched by not playing one of those commanders. And they, they very much, to me at least, feel like that's, that's taken a step back. There, not, there isn't still powerful commanders, but in the last year, especially, very few of them feel like they're kind of warping. Like if I sit down and play against this commander, I feel like I can play whatever thing I want to play without being immediately outgunned. And I think there was a, a window there where that wasn't the case. And I'm, it's really nice for me to see them just step back a little bit from that. Yeah. One of the most popular commanders that we've seen uh, over the past several months has been Prosper Tonebound, which it, it, like I, I also, holy crap, that is such a fun commander. The guy who lets you exile cards off the top of your deck and you can play them. So it's the impulse form of draw and you get treasures every time you cast stuff from exile. That is an insanely popular deck. But I never feel completely outmatched when I'm playing against it, even though it is a very potent, potent form of card advantage and mana acceleration. It still requires quite a significant amount of effort in order for that deck to pull together a win. And when it does, it's engaging and interesting. It's pulling out something like a marionette master, which can make itself really big. And then every time you use one of those treasures, you're going to make your opponents lose life or disciple of the vault to weaponize all the treasures that you're making. But what a fun eclectic mix is going on in there of maybe people are using madness cards in that deck since madness cards do technically get cast from exile when you discard them. Maybe they're using cascade. Maybe they're just using impulse draw, but I never quite know what I'm going to see when I play against a Prosper deck, but I do know that I'm going to have a great time when I do it. And that is really what matters is for commanders to take that that sort of form. Love how we're not going to have any like Golos type of commanders. Nothing's going to need to get banned, (laughs) at least out of commander um, from any legendaries printed out, you know, in the past, I would say 18 months, year and a half or so. Um, Omnath, locus of everything ever (laughs) with infinite value, um, notwithstanding, like, I, I just love how they kind of dialed it back. Like, like you said, Dana, nothing is overly pushed. There are still powerful things you can't be doing. There's still very interesting things, but nothing's like oppressively just going to make sure that nobody gets to play except for you. There's no two lanes. And I, I thousand percent appreciate that. Ooh, Matt, you know, I, I got to say that actually could be a pretty big claim there because, you know, next time you play against like a Vayron Voice of Duality, for example, I mean, that commander is really fast and really spicy. So uh, I, I don't know if something does get banned that was printed in this year. I just I want to make sure that we replay this tape <laughs> for you. I don't even remember happens. what Vayron does. So like in in <laughs> that case, like it doesn't even exist. So it's not real. Yep. 
Veyron is the double mage crafter. It's really, really powerful. It's like somehow both Spellslinger and Voltron all in one, and it's very, very good. Never heard of him. And it does exist. Never heard of him. It doesn't exist. Come on, man. Is it isn't even a real like color combination. Oh, okay, Miss, Mr. Celestia, you're you're going you're going way too far. All right, we we still have plenty plenty of other stuff we're really really thankful for, but I think we've gone a little bit too long before we get to one of our favorite segments here because we're also thankful for this segment. It's challenge the stats. There's so much data on EDH rec, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much or too little play, so we love to challenge the stats every single episode and every single episode. This segment is still sponsored by altersleeves.com. So you can head over to altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast and let them know that we sent you. And you can get some awesome double-sleeved cards. Well, not double-sleeved cards, but protective sleeves that also are going to add some pretty neat swag to your cards. So whether you want to do some you know, extended borders, you want some alternate art, you can do all of that. And just you're protecting your cards at the same time. Nobody's drawing directly on those cards, preserving the value in case you need to sell them down the road. It's just such an awesome idea. I just, I love it. Alter Sleeves are just, man, they're great. And they sponsor Challenge of Stats. So again, altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast. And Dana, how about you start us off this week with Challenge the Stats? What's going on? What are you challenging? So I am going to talk about uh, a card name Overcome briefly. It is three mana, uh, excuse me, three and green, green. So five mana for a sorcery. It says creatures you control get plus two, plus two and gain trample until end of turn. Um, Overcome is in just over 1100 decks in EDH track, which is, which is not a ton. But the notable thing there is the, the three most popular elf tribal commanders would be Marwan the Nurturer and Lathril Blade of the Elves and Azuri Renegade Leader. Um, so what's interesting there is this kind of, third best overrun effect um, is showing up in those those elf tribal lists more often than a card called a tribal force mage. Tribal force mage is a elf um, that costs one and a green and you can morph it for that same cost and then unmorph it, flip it face up, and when it flipped face up, creatures you control of the type of your choice get plus two plus two and gain trample. So it's functionally that overcome spell on an elf in an elf tribal deck that gets played less than overcome. Um, if you are playing an elf tribal deck and you want, you know, one more overrun type effect as a win condition, just run an elf that actually does the same thing that overcome does while giving you a body and probably being easier to recur and also being able to attack. You should just run tribal force mage more often in an elf tribal list. I, I I just want to want to clarify. Let's see. Did we tick the box of Dana picking an obscure card that Joey's literally never <laughs> ever heard of before? Yes, yes, we did. We, we did. did. All right, all right. Just wanted to make sure that we we checked that box. Well done, Dana. I've never heard of this, but you know what? That's that's really cool. And I totally I like the comparison there a lot. Uh, I'm going to move to my challenge now, which I've got a card that I think is a little bit overplayed. One of the precons that we got, I think, technically last year was uh, Anawan the awesome, cool blue-black rogues commander. Like, that's a really, really fun rogue tribal deck. It's really awesome. But there's a card that's in that precon that I think is still showing up way too much in Anawan's deck data today, and that's Whispersteel Dagger. That is the three-mana black equipment that equips for also three-mana. It gives the equipped creature plus two plus oh, and whenever the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you can cast a creature spell from that player's graveyard this turn, and you can spend mana as though it was any color to cast that spell. 
41, 41% of Anawan decks are still using this card. And I, with, as someone with experience with that Anawan deck, this, this was just an absolute dud nearly every single time that I tried to play it. And I just, I don't recommend it here. There are a lot of other better equipments that you can put onto your evasive rogues that will have a much bigger payoff and which don't cost a total of six mana in order to access six mana, which is not worth the plus two plus oh, six mana, which the, the equip cost on this alone is going to usually prevent you from getting a creature out of your opponent's graveyard. And more than that, getting a creature out of their graveyard, it's probably not even going to mix all that much with the rogue tribal synergies you're trying to pull off in the deck anyway. I've just been pretty unimpressed with that particular card. And I think there are a lot just cooler equipment that you could be running instead of the whisper steel dagger. So I think there's a bit of a precon effect going on that is biasing the numbers in favor of this card, but I don't think it's actually all that good for Anawan. So maybe look for another piece of cool equipment, some other shiny knife that the rogues can stab into your unwitting enemies' backs. That sounds very violent, Joey, but that is a good point. <laughs> it's rogues. Rogues rogues gotta have all of the sneak attacks, man. Well, Joey, I'm going to steal a spotlight from the rogues, and I know that's backwards because rogues are usually ones that are stealing, um, but this is what's <laughs> happening in, in 2021. Um, so okay. this week, uh, my challenge is actually from Rutabaga, who went to patreon.com slash edhretcast and signed up so that they can um, submit challenge stats in the Discord um, server that we do have for all of our patrons. And they had a really interesting idea that um, it seems like not enough people are doing. So Rudabega said they want to challenge free spells um, in Ryanya Fire Dancer decks. So Ryanya Fire Dancer is three red red um, legendary human wizard that at the beginning of your uh, combat on your turn, you create X tokens that are copies of another target creature you control where X is one plus the number of instant and sorcery spells you've cast this turn. Then they gain haste and you exile them at the beginning of the next end step. Um, so Rutabaga says many of the red spells that you play have an alternative cost or are free under certain conditions like Blazing Shoal, Downhill Charge, etc. And a fantastic synergy with Ryanya by giving you an extra token basically for free, which is perfect for the turn that you want to go off. Mm. Even Pact of the Titan has many uses um, beyond not just giving you an extra Ryanya trigger. Um, so I think that this train of thought is absolutely fantastic. And one specific spell that I do want to challenge because I think this one is absolutely just one of the more bonkers cards that you could be playing in it is Fury of the Horde. Um, so Fury of the Horde is a sorcery for five red red and uh, also has an alternate casting cost in case that matters uh, where you can remove two cards in your hand from the game or exile them um, rather than paying the mana cost. And then you can untap all creatures that attacked this turn. After this main phase, there's an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. So since you get an additional combat phase, you also get an additional Rhyna trigger, meaning you get to make even <laughs> more tokens, which also get haste and can attack this turn. But it's also a free spell that you can cast um, just without any mana. I think everything that Rutabaga is talking about here is absolutely just in fuego, as some of our friends would say. Um, <laughs> Currently, Fury of the Horde is only played in 10% of all Ryanya decks. Um, definitely super low. I think if you're playing that and you want to just absolutely go off like they're talking about, Fury of the Horde is absolutely one of the best payoff cards you could be using. Extra combats with Ryanya. I, I have toyed around with a Ryanya deck as well. Another commander that came out another, in another pre 2021 commander. that I also really appreciate and I'm thankful for. There, there you go. And that one is really fun. And extra combats seem especially spicy with that ability. That is a really, really cool one. I'm I'm all about that. Making even more token copies of stuff, I'm always absolutely going to be about. All right. That is really cool. 
Now let's get back to some of the other cards that we are thankful for now that we have thankfully challenged the stats. Did that make sense? It didn't make sense. We're just going to move on with it. We're going to go with this. I'm, I'm thankful that we're moving on from your bad, bad jokes. D- um, yes. Uh, liquid metal torque. Uh, that's how I'm saving myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about liquid metal torque. We talked about three mana rocks earlier, but there is a two mana rock that I want to bring up that has also caught my heart. Liquid metal torque is one of my favorite mana rocks. I think maybe ever now it just, it's a two mana. It taps for a colorless and it can also tap to turn target permanent into an artifact for the turn target non-land permanent. I should specify. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but man, when Matt Morgan is about to cast a reclamation sage, and destroy target artifact or enchantment, and I can turn someone's planeswalker into an artifact for him to destroy. I there's nothing sweeter. There's nothing sweet when Sheldon Menory is trying to activate his Nervinerals disc, and his planeswalkers will be safe from it. And I turn that Ugin into an artifact in response to to the Nervinerals disc trigger. There is nothing sweeter than taking an Ugin down with the ship. Like this is just such a political tiny little mana rock that I love. I love to see it. It is so cool. It is so fun. When someone else casts a Vandal Blast and I can also kill an enchantment at the same time, I love this dang mana rock. So while I may have flubbed the segue into getting to talk about it, I am very thankful that it exists and I just want to heap so much praise onto it because dang, I really like this card. Uh, Liquid Metal Torque doesn't make plays and makes stories. Like the, it, yes. It's just like every time you see it used, something interesting happens and what what better compliment can you get to a magic card well okay so dana you said that card makes stories um that's one thing i'm thankful for is the stories kind of making a little bit of a comeback in just in the magic oh, yeah. sets this year um yes I, like I, back in my day um he says mimicking <laughs> dana with his old mannery um but, but anyway, so there were multi-set blocks. There was like a Theros block and a, a Kaladesh block where it was multiple sets in a row that all kind of explored the same world. And you got to see a lot more of it than just a quick glimpse just from one set. Um, we got to see a little bit of that with Return to Innistrad when we had uh, Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow back to back. And I love that because we get to tell so many more stories through those sets. We get to see what's evolving throughout everything. The last time that we went to Innistrad was when the Eldrazi were around. We had Shadows over Innistrad um, and that that whole block. It was just great to see. And I'm glad that they're starting to do that again. Not that they Mm -hmm. feel bound to do kind of a, a quote unquote block setting. But I really like that they're kind of doing two sets back to back or do a couple sets in the same world. We're following the same story. That way we're, we're kind of able to see more going on through the cards instead of like with Strixhaven where there's a lot going on story-wise and we're not able to kind of flesh it all out in one set. Otherwise, it's just super overwhelming and kind of gets lost. It I, Very much I'm super on board with the return of the short accessible stories mm-hmm. in, in the Magic fandom canon, all of that like being able to access those stories is very nice and it's nice a a return to form it it feels like going back home a little bit as opposed to there have been some you know dramatic years of trying to do other stuff with the story that just uh, it it did not pan out and this is a much more enjoyable way that is also communicated i feel a bit more effectively on the cards as well like i just i remember being so sad that the theros 
set that we had a, a, just a bit ago, Theris Beyond Death, we, we kind of don't know exactly how the story panned out. And there were kind of like, there were contradictions between what we were told was happening in story world versus what was being depicted on cards. And it feels like, especially with Innistrad, there are even some cards at the common level that showcase what the plot of what's actually going on here. There are uncommon cards that are showcasing, ah, this character turned into a vampire, <laughs> stuff like that. It's just like we, we are seeing little moments here and there that are reflected on the cards. And the stories themselves are also accessible and engaging. And that is a beautiful thing to be able to get again in 2021. Well, we've seen that return of story, which I, I completely agree. I'm really, really thankful for. Um, but alongside that, we've seen a real expansion of the diversity of setting, too. And that's a difficult thing to balance when you're going to so many different places. But mm. we're going to different places and they're pretty interesting and different from one another in a way that maybe we didn't get a few a few years back. You know, this year alone, we went from Norse world to wizard school to wicker man in Estrad <laughs> to vampire wedding in Estrad. That's a, a, a pretty broad swath of places to visit in sets. And, you know, looking ahead to 2022, like, what if Blade Runner and anime had a baby? Let's do that. <laughs> what if Tony Soprano and Avon Barksdale were demons? Let's check that out. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I mean like, that's a, a pretty fantastic thing to, to go to compared to, you know, six, seven years ago. And you're like, well, we'll spend the entire year on Greek world and then maybe have a core set that takes place on a plane that has cards. Um, like really like seeing this many strange, interesting, daring takes I'm a big fan of. Maybe they won't all work. Maybe they won't work for you or me individually, I guess. But I really respect the, their attempt to just like shoot for the moon and try to do a bunch mm. of weird, interesting things. Um, even if maybe they don't all hit, I, I like them taking the big swing. So that, that's something I'm very thankful for. Danny, you, you were off just a little bit. Shoot for the Moon is the unset that's coming out. Is so it okay? yeah, you were okay. close, okay. but it's super space carnival gotcha. that's bounce right. house wow. extraordinaire. Good goodness. And and you know what? This is actually kind, kind of spinning, but this, I don't know, this just popped into my head. So again, I'm going to flub the, the weird segues and stuff. But Dana, I uh, remember you mentioning a, a little bit ago, um, especially in a lot of conversations you were having online, that there was another thing that you were really engaged with, especially something that we've seen highlighted in uh, both Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow. You were also really delighted by, I think is the correct word, by the different wrath effects that we'd received. So there's Vanquish the Horde, for instance, which is the new white wrath that gets cheaper for each creature on the battlefield, a lot like Blasphemous Act does. And that one is just a quick destroy all creatures, and it could cost as little as two mana to do it. And then in Crimson Vow, there's also by invitation only, which is five mana, and it makes everyone sacrifice your choice of between zero and 13 creatures, which is also a very effective new type of wrath that hits in a very different type of way. And you had a lot of praise to say about the direct that they were taking those different wrath effects. Yeah, I think they've really done an excellent job with white board wipes, you know, not just this year, but going back several years in a way that is very difficult to do. Um, you're just never going to make a better Swords of Plowshares. Like, that's just always going to be the best targeted removal spell in white for creatures. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Path to Exile, I guess, maybe being the second best. Those are just going to lock down that slot. With the board wipes in white, though, there's a dozen, 15, I don't know how many there are at this point that are really good, not just like that exist, that you would genuinely consider for any white deck you build. Um, if I build a red deck, I'm almost always slotting in Blasphemous Act and then mm -hmm. probably Chandra's Ignition. Um, 
and I, I don't, there's nothing else that tends to really compete with those in red. Um, black, you know, Toxic Deluge is probably heads and shoulders above everything else, um, <laughs> yeah. generally speaking. If you are playing white, there's there's just so many options that you can pick the best one for your specific deck versus picking the one that's almost always the best. And the fact that it's been that way for a few years and they keep finding ways to make new ones that are still <laughs> playable and still fill a niche and, and, and you look at it and go, I don't want it in the rest of these decks, but this one deck it's perfect for. That's a real um, kind of triumph of design, I think, that they've done that along the way and they keep finding ways to make new ones that also are, are interesting and playable and useful. I mean, we, we've talked on this podcast, we haven't brought it up lately by any means, but Five Mana Wraths is just... Like there, everybody's like, okay, I have to have a wrath on four. That's just got it's got to be mana efficient, etc. But like, there are so many awesome wraths at five mana, especially with upside that like you can get added bonuses from. Whether it's stuff like fumigate where you yeah. can start um, blowing up everything, or man, there's there's so many or cleansing nova with flexibility. There are so many good board wipes out there if you're just willing to spend one more mana. And like chances are, if, you, if the board is that full, like it's you're going to have mana. It's going to be past turn four unless you're missing land drops or anything like that. So just five mana wraths in general, oldie but goodie point from the old EDH rec cast. Play them because they're so freaking good. Yeah, you, you've been banging that drum for a while, but I right, have. fumigate I for have. the extra life. The buy invitation only could be cool if you have so many more creatures than everyone else. You'll make it a one-sided effect. Like there's a lot to commend about the continued evolution going on in yeah. the board wipe category that just helps you customize. And it, Dana, as you said, doesn't ever feel like there's one definite should always mm. play. This is the correct quote unquote one to play because there's no correct way, but there is customization no. and personalization. And that's what we continue to see even when it comes to board wipes, which is just so, so cool. Um, there's a pair, a pair of cards that came out in Midnight Hunt that I also just really, really quick want to want to throw out here into the conversation because they are such good boys. Um, y'all, we finally got a Werewolf Commander, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to actually bring it up in the show. We finally got a Werewolf Commander. His name is Tovalar, and everyone loves him. He is a Werewolf Commander. It took us like a decade <laughs> to get a proper, <laughs> yeah, right. a proper Werewolf Commander, and he's here now. <laughs> And it's just, it's, I'm sorry, that's just nice. I just, that needs to be said. I am thankful that we have that niche finally filled in and it's not another Ulrich of the Kralin Horde situation where it's just like, I mean, yeah, he is a werewolf, but we're kind of like, eh, about it. Like, no, grateful about the Tovalar. I'm happy about that. But that's not the only dog. That's not the only good boy that I'm happy about that came out of Midnight Hunt. Conrad also got a puppy. Its name is Dreadhound. It is the six mana demon dog that is a six, six that mills you. And it also has more damage death triggers, just like Conrad does. Not exactly like Conrad does, but enough where I'm just happy that now my Conrad deck has has a dog. And I'm just really, really happy about that. And Matt, you you appreciate the wholesomeness of having a dog in your deck, right? Like, it's, it's great, I mean, right? It, you're, you're not afraid of this at all, yeah? Dogs yeah. are man's yeah. best friend. So, yes, I get it. I get it. And I support it. <laughs> Even when it is causing tons of aristocrats triggers. Even though it's causing me literal damage to support <laughs> this idea of Joey having more dogs in his decks, uh, I absolutely do do support this whole movement of Conrad having a puppy. It, it humanizes him, makes Conrad seem a little more relatable. Yeah, it humanizes him. It humanizes <laughs> Conrad to have a demon dog in his deck. Quote from Matt Morgan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you to that there, but that's, that's fine. I mean, as long as there are more demon cats, because cats are actual demons. But that's a whole other <laughs> sidebar. Dana, save us. <laughs> well, so, so Joey, this is a point, something I am thankful for, but it will then segue into something you're thankful for. So I'm gonna set you up oh. here. Okay, okay. Um, you know, oftentimes people have complained about the lack of good Boros commanders out there. Um, 
But I think there's also been a lack of kind of interesting Rakdos commanders over the years. And mm. this year in particular, we just got a ton of interesting Rakdos commanders. Um, whether it's Prosper, who we mentioned before, um, Joey's old buddy, Carter or Kazakar, both of those yeah. two are really interesting <laughs> and playable. Florian is playable. You know, really this year, there's just a bunch of, of really cool Rakdos commanders. Like, at least for me, I always kind of struggled. I wanted a Rakdos deck and couldn't find something that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, in the last 12 months or so, we have a bunch that I look at and go, I would play that. I would play that. I would play that. And that's, I, I'm glad to see that they've really, whether intentionally or just coincidentally, still found a way to make a bunch of appealing Rakdos commanders. That's, that's, that's wonderful. And Dana, just to make sure you know, Asmaranda Martika Dyson Nikoltakar is very, very fun. Lots of the foods. But yeah, Karazakar, the Eye Tyrant. I, that that boy also stole my heart. I, I thought that Cardor the Doom Scourge, Mr. Goad, he comes down and goads the rest of the table. And I, I thought that he had stole my heart. I was really interested in that forcing combat. I was just like, oh, this is really, really cool. They have to attack each other, not me. I was so happy with my Cardor deck. And I was like, uh, how else can I uh, can I evolve this? I'll have to figure that out. And then Karazgar came out and I was just like, oh, oh. And Karazgar has a more sustained form of goading other people. And that deck has also just, holy wow. I, I was just so enthralled. So yes, completely 100% agree with you. The forced combat archetype has been one that I've explored a lot more in 2021. And I, it feels so like nicely facilitated now. And I'm so happy that you brought that up because you're right. It's so dang fun. It's in fact so fun that I am often dying to my own Karazikar triggers when my opponents <laughs> attack each other because I force them to, but then I lose life to draw extra cards. So I do need to work on that, but it's still so much fun to die that way that I kind of almost don't mind it even. Like, it's just, it's so great. But Karazikar is just like, it's such a much more fun version of Carter. Like, they're they're almost functionally the same card, but since with Karazikar, like, your opponents get to opt in to that goad, like, it's such a much more fun experience. And like, I love how they find something that's very, very powerful, but then they find ways to make the same card only a more fun version of it. Like, I think they've been doing that in all sorts of different colors and all sorts of different strategies. So I really like that they do have like two very similar commanders, but then like they're they're doing it on different ways for maybe for different types of play groups. And like, it's just such a cool thing to see. Like they really are exploring different archetypes in ways they haven't before. And it's just, that's just something that they've done just to an awesome degree in this past year. And I, I'm just, I'm, I am, I can say it honestly, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. And so like, I, I will force your goads for sure. But the opt-in thing that you mentioned where like, I don't even have to goad some people for them to still get, to want to get that benefit. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there's a flexibility of design there that is just so juicy and I love it. And you know, what's also really fun is when I do go all out for a huge swing, causing a bunch of goad with the Krasikar and then someone plays another card from 2021 and that's the Ink Shield. Yes, I'm bringing it back up again because I really like Ink Shield. What a good fog. Inklings are amazing. They're just, I feel like I've played some of the coolest magic because of a lot of the stuff we've seen in 2021. And so I'm just, ah, man, I'm just so in love with it. I mean, another card that makes stories more than even plays. It's like something <laughs> something hilarious almost always happens from an ink shield. Well, so, Joey, I, I think having a Thanksgiving episode, we'd be remiss to not talk about the best food producer probably in the history of the game. Um, Academy, huh? Academy Manufacturer. Huh? Oh, <laughs> yes. the assembly line worker at the old uh, the Lace Factory. Just pumping out food oh. tokens all over the place. Um, that card is insane. <laughs> that card is just yes, is. wildly just out of this world. 
Um, what the heck? But also thank you. Uh, yeah, Academy Manufacturer is a, a, a it's a treat. Ah, eh, because eh, it's the, the it, food. It, yep. <laughs> so, did, did everybody yeah. needs dessert. Yeah, so it's the artifact creature from Modern Horizons 2 where if you would make a food, a clue, or a treasure, you make one of each. That has been hilarious every time you see it. And there are so many commanders. We mentioned Prosper earlier who makes treasure tokens. Well, with Academy Manufacturer, now you're also going to get card advantage and some life if you want it. There's Eloise Nefalius Sleuth who investigates all the time. Well, now you're going to get mana alongside all of that and you can use it to gain a bunch of extra life if you want. And there's just this whole bunch of artifact token density that is emerging here that you can take advantage of with cool cards like Rise and Shine to turn all of your random accoutrement of tokens and turn them into lethal 4-4 <laughs> attacking creatures instead. <laughs> and Matt is laughing at me, I think, because I said a Tremont, and I am I will I will not be bothered by it because Academy Manufacturer is just a terrific wonderful thing and Matt I think you're very right to bring it up in our pre Thanksgiving holiday episode because all of the foods so I get you I think you you're, you're a little off you say it's a treat I think it's a treasure uh, uh-huh, oh. yeah uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to investigate that claim of yours, I, I would say. <laughs> I have managed to cast Academy Manufacturer and the card Fey Offering in the same turn. Fey Offering's the enchantment that if you've cast a creature and a non-creature in one turn, then you make a food, a clue, and a treasure. But with Academy Manufacturer, you get three of each instead of just one of each. And that is the type of, that's the EDH I'm here for. That is exactly what I want to be doing with my EDH games. And I'm just so happy that I got to have that kind of totally janky experience and that my commander, Masaryk, got to see me sacrifice all of those delicious artifact tokens so that he can make a bunch of plus one counters out of them. There are just so many hilarious synergies that come with even meme looking cards. It's so good. The biggest problem with a Kelly manufacturer is you often find yourself in a position where you can't use all the things you've made. You're like, well, I've got 18 <laughs> foods sitting here and I'm never going to have enough mana to use them all. So, and I guess if, if that's a problem, you're probably doing okay. That's that's a good feel. Yeah, this has this been a, a, a delight. There's always going to be stuff for us to nitpick about when it comes to EDH and other card designs and things that we wish we could see and things that we want more of, especially reprints as always. But there have just been a whole bunch of really cool, wonderful things to see in 2021. And I'm really glad that we uh, got to talk about them here. And in fact, there's one other thing that I think I want to shout out here too, and this will be a bit more familiar for the folks who've been playing Standard rather than EDH, but you know, I'm also thankful that Throne of Eldraine rotated out of Standard this year. That's a thing I'm also thankful for. You just, you, you just had to start the fight at the dinner table, didn't you? That, that's exactly what somebody who was a 3-3 elk would say, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's the best joke that's ever been man we we're bookending it with some pretty terrific jokes on this episode i'm really really happy dang guys this was a such such a fun episode so thank you so much for for joining me here at our edh rec dinner table question mark um yeah, we're going to go with that. But I think we should call things to a close so that we can prepare for the actual holiday and get even more food. So uh, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, Matt, where is it that they can find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter's fighting with your weird uncle over at Mathemus55. That's <laughs> M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. Guests on every single week. We're always having a fun time. So make sure you tune in. And Dana, how about you? You can find me on the Twitter, Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcasts, CMDR Central. 
I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald, and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast, and we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com, and you can visit altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool, custom EDH Rex sleeves. We are thankful for all of you so much as well. Listeners, we are also thankful for you. There's so much to be thankful for. We will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.